So the God-ordained role of civil government, Romans chapter 13. And we'll read the first seven verses. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to, to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continuously to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due taxes, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to, to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on Romans, he said this concerning these seven verses, it is only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the interpretation of Romans 13, 1 through 7 is the history of attempts to avoid what seems to be its plain meaning. Right? So back on October 18th, 2020, in the series on God-ordained institutions, the family, government, and the church, I preached, I think, six messages on, on uh, civil government. And so I'm not going to repeat them all. Don't worry about it. Just one message. But the thrust of uh, the messages on that subject was that God works through intermediary authorities in accomplishing his will. The family, the church, and government. And I will stay mainly with the text of Romans. So if you want to know more, you can go back and listen to those that are on Sermon Audio. But I think that this message is timely, seeing that we just exercised our democratic right, right, as citizens to vote. So a democracy is the best form of government, yes or no? Now, there is a quote that is often attributed to Winston Churchill, and here's what he said. The great statesman, democracy is the worst form of government except for all other kinds. Actually, Churchill didn't say that. He was just citing it. What Churchill said was this, many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said, so he's quoting this, that democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. So we can be thankful that we, we do have somewhat of a voice in this country. But the command here in Romans 13.1, Christians are called to submit to the authority over them within certain parameters that the Scripture gives. So he says, let every soul be subject unto higher powers. Now the danger of this passage is twofold. Number one, taking it too far. 
That's submitting when submitting would violate the word of God. And the second danger is this, taking it lightly and disregarding it for reasons not clearly established by God's word. William Marnall, in his commentary on the book of Proverbs, he said this, but it fits here in Romans 13. Go forward in your allegiance to the powers that be. Not until you think you have gone far enough. I can't take it anymore, right? But until you come upon the law of God, claiming the space in front of you for himself and absolutely forbidding your advance. Go forward with the fear of the king unless and until the fear of the Lord crosses your path like a wall. That's a good statement. That is, that is very well said. But he says, let every soul, which literally is every person, every person, every citizen of the country or state. And I think this could be a reflection somewhat of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22. Now remember, the adversaries of Jesus, like the Pharisees and the Herodians, they hated each other, right? But they had a greater hatred for Jesus. So they would conspire together to get Jesus out of the way. And one of the ways they did that was by putting questions to him that were really traps. So they came to him and they said, tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? And they were really, you know, kind of praising him. It was all hypocrisy, Jesus said, because they were were just trying to build him up in their eyes, but they really hated him. So Jesus, it says in in Matthew 22, verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness. And he said, "Why, why tempt me? Why are you tempting me? You hypocrites. Jesus knew that if he said, pay your taxes, he would lose the support of the populace, right? Because the Jews, I mean, Roman taxation was, you think ours was bad, theirs was incredibly excessive. Matter of fact, Rome was a very wicked empire. I mean, they would, we've got abortion. Well, they would just put babies out on the streets to die. We've got homosexuality and transgenderism. Nero, he had a 12-year-old boy castrated and uh, dressed him as a a young girl and married him in a public ceremony. So, you know, we're, we're, we're evil, but they were very, very evil as well. So... They were trying to to get him to go against the populace. But Jesus also knew that he said, if he said, do not pay your taxes, who who would he then be in trouble with? Rome. So it seems like a difficult place to be. And what did he say? Show me the tribute money. And they brought brought unto him a a penny. And he saith unto him, who is this image in superscription? Whose image is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said, render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's. Good answer, right? Now, this is clearly not just about paying taxes. But rendering your obedience to the sphere of authority that God has granted to human governments, irrespective of the form of government a person finds themselves under. Rome was tyrannical in many ways. 
It also indicates that there is a limitation imposed on government by God. The state, Jesus says, can demand what belongs to it. Taxes, many other things, compliance with building codes, thousands and thousands of burdensome regulations, etc. But it is not on the same level as God. God demands our absolute allegiance. That's what we are to render to God. Absolute, total allegiance. Even if it means that we will be punished by the state. In chapter 4 of the book of Acts, the Jewish rulers in Jerusalem told Peter and John to stop preaching about Jesus. And you know what they said? Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So the government had its authorities and the Jewish authorities issued an order. But Peter said we could only go so far with this. You're not on the same level as God. He demands our absolute allegiance. So then in chapter 5 of the book of Acts, they're put in prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. That was illegal. Right? <laughs> and he broke it. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. <laughs> broke him out of jail, right? And he took them outside and he said, go stand and speak in the temple the whole message of this life. Wow. And that's what they did. Go right back to the most public place and start preaching again orders from heaven. The highest allegiance that you have is to God. And this is upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and they began to teach. They began to speak the words of life. And when they were brought before the authorities again, the high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What did Peter and John say? They answered, they said, we must obey God rather than men. That's Acts 5.29. So submission to government is the general rule. But it goes beyond just not rebelling. And this is the hard part. It means showing respect and honor to those officials whose policies you profoundly disagree with. It means praying for kings and all who are in authority. Jeremiah told Israel when they were deported to Babylon. Now, if you want to read about a wicked empire, read about the Babylonians. Because of their sins, Israel is going to be put into the hands of their oppressors. And Jeremiah says, when you go there, submit to them. Submit to your captors. Here's what he said, Jeremiah 28.5. Build your homes and dwell in them. Plant your gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take, take you wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased and not diminished. And then he says this, And seek the peace 
of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away as captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof, you shall have peace. Now that's very similar to what we read in 1 Timothy, if you were here on Wednesday for the last couple of weeks, where Paul says, I exhort you therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and those who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and what? Peaceable life. The same thought as Jeremiah said, in all godliness and honesty. Christians must not lose sight of what God has called them to do as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. I just finished reading Dr. Michael Brown's book. He went back and wrote a book concerning the, everything that happened from 2020 and on. And the title of his book is The Political Seduction of the Church. How Millions of Americans Have Confused Politics with the Gospel. And that is true. Here's a statement by J. By J. Marcellus Kick in the Church and State in the New Testament. State and church differ radically in their origin, in their membership, in their aims, in their laws, in their weapons, and in their extent. Such is the teaching of the New Testament. The scriptures make a clear distinction and a definite line of demarcation between Caesar's kingdom and that of Christ's. History reveals that much harm results to both kingdoms when this distinction is disregarded or blurred. So Paul said, be subject to higher powers, which is the word authorities. Be subject means to subordinate oneself to. What what does that tell us? It tells us that there is a hierarchy. There are higher authorities. And that every one of us as believers is to assume our rightful place, listen to me, in the hierarchy that God has established. Upotasso, he says, submit. That's actually a military term that has to do with rank. So understand your rank in the terms of the hierarchy that God has established. And and God clearly has established a hierarchy, an order of things. 1 Corinthians 11.3, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Ephesians 5.22, he said, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. So there is this definite hierarchy in our homes, in our church, and in our government. The elders, for instance, in the church have the oversight over the church. But Paul goes on to make it clear here that God is sovereign over all. He says, For there is no power but of God. Submit yourself to the powers that are over you, but remember this, there is no power greater than God. Second Chronicles 25, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Jude in Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, in front of the new courtyard, and he said, Lord, God of our fathers, you, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? 
And he is. You know that verse we put in Psalm 67 here, it says, that it says, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou wilt judge the people righteously. And I don't know if you caught this, but it says, And govern the nations upon the earth. Who's the ultimate sovereign? And govern. God. So he says, And are you not ruler over all kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. Daniel 2.21, he changes the times and the seasons, he removes kings, this is speaking of God, and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So we need to remember this, that civil authorities are not the final authority. Their authority is derivative, derivative. It comes from God. He gave them the authority to reign in a temporal sphere of authority. Jeremiah 27, 5 says, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed necessary for me to do so. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. What does God call him? My servant. Whatever you think about Joseph Biden, he is God's servant. Yeah, I, You probably never think of it that way. But in some ways in which we do not understand, he is doing the, the bidding of God, even though his, the things he does are contrary to God. In the end, things are going to fall into the place that God has exactly established them to be. And it says, And the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. Now, again, only God has sovereign authority. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18? He spoke to his disciples and he said, All what? All power, exousia, that means authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And by that, Jesus meant all authority in an absolute sense belongs to me. Philippians 2.9, God has also exactly exalted him and given him, Jesus, a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every king on earth, every ruler on earth, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, every single knee will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is sovereign over all. He is God, and we have no other. So the reason for the command is stated next in verse 13.1. For the powers or the authorities that be are ordained of God. Romans 13.1 there. In the, in the New American Standard it says, Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. God. Now think about the word authorities. The word authorities has the word author in it. And that reflects the fact that they are from God and established by God. He is the author of those authorities. Romans 13:1 teaches that all human governments have been ordained by God the good and the evil. 
Romans 9.17 says, For the scripture said to Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised you up. I have given you power. I have put you in that place. That I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared through all the earth. Ordained is the Greek verb tasso, refers to placing or positioning someone or something. So I need to say this. God setting governments in place does not mean that God approves of their actions or causes them to act in evil ways. Paul goes on and he tells us that the judgment will come upon those for rejecting God's ordained authorities. If you resist the authority God ordained, they're set in place over you. You fight against God by rejecting his will who gave them their power to rule. Verse 2, whoever therefore resists the authority, the power, resists the ordinance of God. Greek word is diatage, and it means literally resists the direction or the will of God. And, and that's why we have to take this really seriously. We have to be very careful lest we fight against God and what he's trying to accomplish. You subject yourself to government's punishment and the judgment of God if you do so. They that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, King James has it, for judgment. For he... The governing authority is the minister. This is an interesting word. It's the word from which we get our English word deacon. He is the deacon of the ser- or the servant of God to thee for good. I-, I was thinking about that and I was reading in Psalm 91. Let me just read you a verse this week or, <clears throat> that I read this week. Now, I'm sorry, Psalm 119, verse... 91, I think, around verse 91. Yeah, okay, verse 89, Psalm 119. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So I circled the word heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. Praise God. You establish the earth. So I circled the word earth. And it abides. It continues. It continues. Right? The heavens and declare what? The glory of God. And, and he set the sun in place and the moon in place, the moon to rule by night and the sun to rule by day. They were given their orders from the Lord to do this. So Psalm, Psalmist goes on and it's, he says, they, speaking of the heavens and the earth, they continue this day according to your ordinances. Your rule, your will. And then he says this, for all, and it really means for all these and all things are your servants. All created things are God's servants. Everything that God has put in place by his sovereign power is in effect his servant. And that's what Paul says in Romans 13. Governments are his deacons, his servants. What do we mean by that? Well, a servant in the sense of carrying out God's will in this context to punish evil. 
to punish evildoers. Governments can also commit great evil. Think of Lenin. Think of Stalin. Think of Chairman Mao. Think of Saddam Hussein. Think of Hitler. Incredible evils they have committed. But nevertheless, governments serve God. In Isaiah 44, 28, God called King Cyrus of Persia. The Persians were wicked people. But yet he called this King Cyrus of Persia his shepherd, who will perform all my pleasure. He's going to do ultimately what I bid him to do. He's going to free my people from Babylon. Even saying to Jerusalem, you will be built, and to the temple, your foundation will be laid. A remarkable prophecy, by the way. So in Isaiah 44, 28, he calls calls Cyrus, this wicked king, his shepherd. And then in Isaiah 45, he calls Cyrus his anointed. You know what that word is? His Mashiach, his Messiah, his deliverer. So when, when governments fulfill their responsibilities righteously, the scripture says in Romans 13:3 that rulers these rulers are a source of terror to do evil to evil doers in the realm of law and order. But we've had a breakdown of law and order. Right? We've had a, we've had complete reversal in many ways. We we have law enforcement officers being charged and criminals let go. And it's going to get worse unfortunately. But when it works right, he says, rulers are not a terror to good works. In other words, if you're doing what is right, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear them. But they are a terror. They are a dread to evildoers. If you do what is right, you can live without fear of the state's authority. And that's what he goes on in Romans 13 to say. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the authority or power? Do then that which is good. And you will have praise of the same. For he is the servant, and here's that word again, the servant of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, then you have reason to fear. Right? For he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God. Again, the servant of God. A revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. So he tells us clearly in this verse, that government and government alone, the authorities that God have put in place, they alone have the power of capital punishment. Even the Jews did not have the power of capital punishment. It was the Romans. I was thinking of, of uh, <laughs> I was thinking of the flood of Noah. You've been learning about that in Sunday school. I thought. How many people died in Noah's flood? We don't know the exact number, right? The bigger question is, how many people survived? Eight people, right? God executed capital punishment upon the whole world. The whole world. And do you know why? Because we're told in Genesis 6 that the whole world was filled with violence. It's an interesting word. Do you know what the word violence in Hebrew is? 
Hamas. Anything you know about Hamas? It's a terrorist, evil organization. Now, they, they say it comes from an Arabic word, and, but there's probably the same type of roots involved here. Hamas. The whole world was filled with Hamas, with violence. And Jesus says it's going to be like that in the end times. It'll be like the days of Noah. This world has not seen anything yet of what it's going to become. So they're a, they're a source of terror to evildoers. Government has the power of capital punishment. But in that same verse, he says, someone doing what is right is commended by God in a sense that you, know, you will be free from the terror of the government, but if you do what's evil, you'll, you'll end up in trouble. Sometimes doing what is right gets you in trouble, right? Particularly if you're what? A Christian. If you're a Christian. First Peter 4.14 If you be reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Listen to me. Especially you young people. You will be reproached. And you may very well be persecuted for Jesus Christ in your lifetime. Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you stand strong in your convictions for Jesus Christ and will not waver no matter what the cost. First thing it may cost you is your friendship, young people. Your friends. Peer pressure is a, a great pressure, right? And how many Christians, Christian young men and Christian young women have gone off to college and caved in completely and abandoned their Christian faith? And I can give you the names of some of them because they didn't want to be rejected by their friends or by all the other people, the crowd. You are going to have to stand strong and firm for Jesus Christ. And the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. On their part, he will be evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. And that's the way it ought to be for every Christian. Paul was unjustly imprisoned at Philippi. What did he do? Complain. Right? No. He was singing songs to the Lord. And he ends up preaching the gospel to the jailer. Daniel refused to heed the king's decree. And he ended up in the lion's den for it. The three Hebrew youths Refused to bow down to an idol. And what happened to them? Furnace of fire, right? But God was glorified, wasn't it? God delivered them. So let me give you the motivation for submitting to authorities over you from 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you. And just remember these words. Strangers and pilgrims. 
Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your manner of life honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may, be, they may by your own good works, which they shall behold, people are watching. They're watching how Christians act and react. They may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Then he goes on and he says this, with that thought in mind, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him, lesser magistrates, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now, I would just call to your attention the fact that this is the same Peter who said, we must obey God rather than men when government crossed a particular line that was clearly drawn by the word of God. And God's word draws those lines. How far shall we go? Both the Christians and the Jews were suffering at the hands of the Romans at the time of this writing. 1 Peter 1, 1, Peter says, called himself an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Why were they scattered? Because of persecution. Because they were Christians. So Christians are to submit to the government. And here's the key thought, okay? Not because Pastor Tom says so or some other Christian says so. For the Lord's sake. That's what Peter says. Now I don't want to limit the meaning of those words. But one thought I have is that a willing submission to authorities operating within their proper sphere of authority and not going beyond is to honor God and his name and failure to do it to do so dishonors it. So it's a matter of a Christian's testimony to the world and before the world. The similar command was given to wives. Wives, submit to your husbands, what? As unto the Lord. For the Lord's sake. For the honor and for the glory of the Lord, because you're willingly taking your place in the hierarchy that God has established for the good of the home, for the good of the church, for the good of the country in which you live. 1 Peter 2.15, Peter said this, for so is the will of God. This is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of of foolish men. That parallels by your good works, which they're looking at, your conduct. Titus 3.1, Be subject to principalities and powers. To obey magistrates. That's the lesser officials. And again, to be ready for every good work. Every good work. And he goes on. Look, 
to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing meekness unto all men. One apologist wrote, people natural com- naturally complain and desire change. Well, I don't. But... Sure we do. We all do. And we want change for the better, not for the worse, right? People naturally complain and desire change. Therefore, at times, they speak evil and negative toward their government and its leaders. Christians should not do so. Paul calls believers to willful submission to government and to all men. This attitude would change the face of the political discussion if the evil speaking stops completely among Christians. Unfortunately, many Christian leaders are encouraging the exact opposite. Many have stopped the idea or ceased praying for their leaders and instead spend their time attacking them in email, in conversations, on social media. Christians of all people must be careful of their speech. How many commands do we have in Scripture pertaining to the tongue? Those are for believers. Unbelievers have no power to control their tongues. But we have the Spirit of God. We can. A Christian is a representative of Jesus Christ on earth and must always present Christ before people in His glory. We have to... We must always act with the Christ-like attitude, even when it is very hard to do so. I know we fail, because I fail, and I know you fail. We're Christians, and things really bother us. And we don't like seeing the things we, we see taking place. And we want to change, and we want to protest, and we want to be activists. And good, you can be active. And and you can get involved in, in politics to some degree, not the main thing of your life. But you but you can't do it in a way whereby your testimony is damaged before the unbelieving world. Because Jesus suffered so much for us, we're expected to submit and not to retaliate even if it means suffering. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin. Jesus himself said, which of you can accuse me of what? Wrongdoing. So remember that he did nothing wrong. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He always spoke the truth. When he was reviled, when when they were saying horrible things about him, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, greatly mistreated, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So we are to submit for the Lord's sake to those who are over and to continually commit ourselves to the one who judges justly. 
What did we read in Romans 12, the end of Romans 12? You get upset with people. The natural temptation is to what? Fight back, right? But what did he say? Okay, we can give place to wrath, but not our own wrath. For for vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That's entrusting yourself to the one who judges rightly and justly. Look, if you take it upon yourself to go beyond the boundaries that you're supposed to go beyond, and you could end up in trouble, then you're not entrusting yourself to the one who judges justly and will repay. You're taking it upon yourself to do that. So, we are to submit, and again, there's a line of demarcation. The Hebrew midwives, right? They, they would not do what the Pharaoh wanted them to do. Daniel wouldn't do it. The Hebrew youths wouldn't do it. Peter would refuse to submit. There's, there's many different occasions in the scripture which show that clear line where they could go so far and no further. But, he says, you are to submit for the Lord's sake. And then he gives another reason, he says in Romans, for conscience sake. Wherefore, Romans 13, 5, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, not only because you might think that you're going to get punished if you don't submit, but for conscience sake. What is conscience? It's the candle of the soul. Now, here's where it gets really tricky because I've had, I've had Christians tell me they can do all kinds of things and they didn't, you know, that. that This doesn't bother me. I don't don't feel any guilt or any conscience in doing whatever it is. So conscience is not a a reliable guide. And that's why people differ, right? So our conscience, to the best of our ability from the study of Scripture, must be biblically informed. Now here's a couple things I'll say. A biblically informed conscience will determine the limits of submission to government. Your personal submission. It's going to draw that line for you. But it has to be a biblically informed conscience. A biblically informed conscience will prohibit you also from following other protesters and activists who cherish their personal freedom but violate the word of God. Your personal freedom and my personal freedom is not the only, the ultimate thing. We've been taught that. We've been, since we were little, we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Thank God it's, we're free because of the brave, as the saying goes, right? But our personal freedom is not the ultimate thing. How many believers all over this world have no freedom? And they bring much more glory to God than the American church. They're suffering for the glory of God. Never violate your conscience to go along with the crowd. Never. You'll regret doing that. Don't follow the crowd. 
Lastly, doing the right thing by God's word means your conscience is at peace. And when you are at peace, it has a positive effect on other people. You, you notice that? You, you, people could be all riled up. They could rile up other people. But you bring somebody in who is walking with the Lord and he is at peace and they're going to have a calming effect in that environment right there. So when you are at peace, it has a positive effect on others. That's why Paul says, as much as possible that lies within you, endeavor to live at peace with everybody. Right? Don't, don't, don't. Grasp on to things that can disturb you and maybe you can, you can have something against somebody. Let it go. Be at peace. But understand this. Even if your conscience is at peace, you will never win everyone over to your, to your views and ideas. You're never going to win everybody over. But that doesn't matter, Right? That is to be expected. We live in a fallen, anti-God, anti-Christ world. But not forever. Not forever. We will win what no election or political movement can ever get for us. We will inherit the kingdom of God. We will co-reign with Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. We will be citizens of the new Jerusalem, not the new America. Not America, America made great again. Revelation 21.1 And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were, what? Passed away. I, I was watching the other day with Marie. <laughs> from the Reagan Library, Ronald Reagan's farewell speech to America. I liked Ronald Reagan. He didn't talk like some politicians talk, belittling people, calling them names and so forth. He had dignity. He used his words wisely. And he won people over. But it was the Reagan Revolution Right, And then he was saying goodbye to America. And he was talking about all the positive things that were happening with Russia and Gorbachev and all of these things all over the world. Guess what? It didn't last. The kingdoms of men, the governments of men, even the good that they accomplished, do not last. The first earth passed away and there was no more sea And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be 
any more pain. Why? Because there will be no more sin. And then he ends with these words, for the former things are passed away. Praise God for what's coming, right? I don't despair. I, I look at the political scenes. I used to get upset with that. No, that. I gave that up a long time ago. They will always disappoint you. My hope is in the one who made the heavens and the earth. And only him. Even so, come Lord Jesus.